Heavenly Father, we sing of your greatness today. We sing of your glory and your goodness. And we say with the psalmist, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. And so we have, Lord, we have worshiped you for all that we are worth this morning, acknowledging your great worth. And I pray now, Lord, that you would focus our minds and our hearts, that we might uh, sing and worship not just from our minds and our lips, but from our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What a glorious morning. I was thinking after Hannah saying we ought to just have the invitation. Alan, I don't know. I'm not sure it's going to get any better than that. It's great worship. Great to be with you. God is good all the time. We begin a new worship series this morning thinking about reconnecting with God. And uh, we're going to be preaching through the windows of uh, the Old Testament window here, the pictures in that Old Testament window, and you can look up and see at the top of this one. If you don't have a view right now, you can catch it uh, later, but the stars are there, and the sun is there, and there are planets out here uh, on the side, and all of that reminds us, and we feel a a bit like the psalmist, don't we, who said, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies shout, and they have shouted loudly this week, the glory of our God. And uh, in the picture there, you'll see just a closer look at that. And then I think about Psalm 8, where David says, uh, When I consider the heavens and the work of your hands, the moon and the stars, what is man that you are mindful of him? You ever look up at the stars at night and wonder, Why did God do all of this? I remember I was out at Melvin Beard's place uh, some nine or ten years ago and early in the morning sitting in a deer stand and I didn't know that it was the night uh, or the early morning in which there would be this, this fabulous meteor shower. And I just had this front row seat just to watch the, the shooting stars all across the sky and had a marvelous worship experience. And sometimes we look at what God has created and we honestly wonder why. Why did God make all of this? And this morning, I want you to see that God's purpose in creating it all was not just the, the, the stars and the planets, but really the crescendo of creation. God intended to make humankind In his own image. And only after he made humankind did he say, not just it's good, but remember, this is very good. Why did God create the world? I want you to see this morning in God's word. Would you open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 3? And there we find in this story, Genesis chapter 3, after the fall... Genesis 3, verse 21. Title of my message this morning, The Joy We Share. The Joy We Share. Let's stand together to read God's Word. I'm also going to read a verse at the end of chapter 4 and then uh, three or four verses in chapter 5. Next week, we'll look at the story of Noah and reconnecting with the promises of God. And the week after that, Abraham and the purpose of God. 
And then after that, David, the bottom of the window there, the praise of our God. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And at the end of chapter 4, verse 26, after Cain kills Abel and Eve conceives and gives birth to a son named Seth, it says, Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And then in chapter 5, verse 21, the seventh in the line of Seth um, Adam, Seth, and the seventh one is Enoch. Listen, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. You may be seated. So what was the best part of the Garden of Eden? What do you think? Was it the crystal clear, pure water? Was it the beautiful landscape? Was it not having to work, just being able to receive the food that was already growing there in the garden, never becoming sick? All of these things sound very good to us. But I'll settle this simply by saying the best thing in the garden was God. And Adam and Eve had, imagine, uninterrupted fellowship, unhindered access to God. Day and night they were with God and the glory of it all was living in the glorious presence of God, walking with Him and talking with Him. And I don't know how good that fruit tasted, but it wasn't good enough. And the indigestion, shall we say, has lasted for millennia. And you and I still have a bitter taste in our mouths because of the choice that Adam and Eve made. And the loss, imagine the worst loss of all, when they were evicted from the garden, no longer having absolute access to God, no longer being able just to walk with Him in the coolness of the day. Remember years ago our choir sang creation and God said, who will walk with me in the garden in the coolness of the day? And and who will share the orchestrated mysteries that soar within my soul? I will create man to walk in my own image. Form him from the dust and breathe into him my own breath of life. Do you want to know why God created the stars? Because the joy that he had was too good not to share. And Adam and Eve's story, if we will receive it, is also our story. That when you and I chose to sin... 
We chose an interruption of relationship with God, which hinders our walk with him and our talk with him. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the psalmist wrote, God will not hear me. It it messes up my prayer life, uh, the scriptures say, when there's conflict within my home. It messes up my fellowship with God when I choose to sin. We were connected to God at creation, made in his own image. We were disconnected by sin. But there is hope in the story and line of Seth. Because in chapter 5 it says about Seth that he, that he was, was born in the image of Adam. And Adam and Eve were in the image of God. And in Seth's line we see that people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And Enoch begins to walk with the Lord. If you want to know what God wants, what? What does God want from us? Go back to the beginning. He wants to talk with us. He wants to walk with us. When we reconnect with God, we begin to talk with Him, to call upon His name. If you go back to the beginning, John chapter 1, the Word who made the world just wanted to talk. Not just to say, let there be, and there was, but He wanted to talk with us. And we see Him in the garden pursuing Adam and Eve and communicating with Adam and and naming the animals and forming Eve from, from Adam's side and all of that. And God living in communion with His people. And it was a beautiful connection where they could talk with God. And then... It's not after the fall that God stops talking to people. But there must have been a period of time in the line of Cain when people stopped talking to God. We can look at Cain's line and see they establish um, cities, they establish the arts, they establish tools. But it's Seth's line that establishes worship. And what we see is the people, I read this every year on January the 1st, at that time, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And like you, for years, I've read that and thought, what does that mean? Well, let's unpack it together today and see that that there was a time when people began to talk to God again, when they began to pray. There in chapter 4, verse 26, we, we see this picture of prayer and it's a marvelous moment. And when do they begin to pray? Well, it's after tragedy. That's a time when we pray. It's after heartache and it's in the joy of the gift of a child. And they begin to pray. They begin to call upon the name of the Lord. When Seth is born, something happens and people begin to seek God again. And why? Because they realize we can't live without God's help. And in some ways, the rebellion in the garden was saying, God, I I don't believe you. I can't trust you. I'm not sure you're telling me the truth. I'm going to try it my way. And then there comes a moment in our lives when we say, I can't make it my way. God, I have to live your way. And this is what happened after Seth was born. And they began to call upon the name of the Lord to talk to God in prayer. And why do they pray? Well, just look at the text. They, they had a child and then a grandchild. And having children and grandchildren will make you pray. Particularly when they become teenagers. It enhances. When they begin to drive, 
Oh, the prayers we have begun to pray as Chase has hit the road. You know, I'm sorry I didn't give you an earlier warning, but he's on the road in a white Honda. If you see one coming, I mean, it'll make you pray when you're worried late at night, whether they're coming home or night. And they began to talk to God. Listen, listen to what the, the poet Alfred Lord Tennyson said. He said, more things are wrought by prayer. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. And he goes on to write, speak to him then For he hears, and spirit with spirit can meet. Closer is he than breathing, and nearer than hands or feet. God is as close as a prayer. Doesn't it make you want to to pray? And notice the way that they prayed. You see it there when it says they called upon the name of the Lord. There are many words in Hebrew for talking, for speaking, for chatting, for complaining, and for conniving. But the word is they called upon the name of the Lord. Of the Lord. It's a word kara, which speaks of intensity and passion. It's not unlike what it says about Jesus' prayer life. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, In the days of Jesus' sojourn on this earth, he lifted up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. Jesus prayed passionately. We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane, but I believe this was a characteristic of Jesus' life. And I confess to you, can I just confess that sometimes prayer in my life is more of a form than it is a force. But I read in the Scripture that the people who prevailed with God did not pray perfunctory prayers. Just, oh, it's time to eat or, oh, it's time to go to bed. But, oh, God, I can't breathe without you. I can't live without you. And that deep sense of dependence calls us to our knees to to pray to the Father. Notice that they called to whom they prayed. They called upon the name of the Lord. That is Yahweh, Yahweh, the tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of God, which means I am that I am. Very simply, they prayed to the God who actually is and they called upon his name and I know in and Moses comes to understand his name in the book of Exodus but if you read closely in Genesis what you discover is that that not only did these people know his name but but Abram in chapter 12 verse 8 after God told him his purpose for his life said um I will build an altar at the place that became Bethel, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Came back there in chapter 13, verse 4. Chapter 21, he plants a tamarisk tree, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. He made it a practice and a habit in his life to seek the face of God, to say, your face, O Lord, will I seek And I wonder if at the beginning of this new year, if we are seeking the face of the God who created the stars and the planets and created us in his image as the crescendo of creation, that we might have communion with him. God wants to talk with us and he wants us to call on his name. I remember when we were kids, four boys, bless my mother's heart, and we would we would call mom and she would say, that's my name. Don't wear it out. Please tell me I'm not the only one here because I'm going to feel really lonely if I'm the only one whose mom said that. Maybe it was just us. She says to us sometimes, you're the reason I am the way that I am. I'm not exactly sure what she means by that. But we've noticed through the years that our boys call on us. One of the boys has a rather bovine character to his speech when he says, Mom! The other one rather like a sheep, Dad! 
And they call upon our name and there are moments when it wearies us. But then I remember when one of them became a teenager and just stopped talking to us. There's a period of a couple years we never heard his voice. He never said anything. We thought when he went off to college, we'd never hear his voice again. And then would you believe it? Every day he calls us. It's an amazing thing. Sometimes several times a day, every Friday morning when he gets out of his class, he calls me and we talk. And there comes a moment when I say, you know, I've got to go. (laughs) I have work to do. I'm really glad to hear from you. But just remember in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught that our Heavenly Father is a better father than we parents, our parents, because he says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Your Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to his children. God wants us to call upon his name and Why does he want us to call on his name? Because when we do, he gives us good things. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Call upon me and I will answer and I will show you great and unsearchable things which you didn't know. Joel chapter 2 and also in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Good things happen in our lives when we talk to Him again. And if we reconnect with God, we will talk with Him. But God doesn't just want to talk with us. God also wants to walk with us. And so we track down in the line of Seth. And in chapter 5, we see these people who live, by the way, a very long time. And they lived a very long time. And their lives are all the same. One through six. They are born. They um, have children. They live a long time. And they die. That's their story. It's their story. And if you sort of look at the rhythm of people's lives, you kind of see that's, that's the way it was. And in some cases, that's the way it is. And then every once in a while, there's an Enoch who walks in a different direction, who walks to a different destination. Somebody like Enoch who walks with God. He didn't just live. He didn't just eat and drink and breathe and sleep. But when he walked, he walked with God. It's a picture of, a, of the right kind of life, the seventh man, the, the perfect man in that line who, who was so connected with God. I just want you to see, he didn't live as long as his father or his son. But he lived well. Because the measure of a life is not the amount of years in the life, but the amount of life in the years. And he lived well. Because he walked with God. He's not alone. We'll see next week that Noah in Genesis 6-9 walked with God. And, and we see God saying to Abram, walk before me. And Abram walks before him. And later we'll say that in chapter 24, the God before whom I have walked. And, and later his uh, grandson will say, the God before whom my fathers uh, Abraham and Isaac walked as he talks to his son Joseph and they passed that tradition of walking with God. Now there's a legacy for us to pass on to our kids, to be those who so walk with God that the testimony of our life is as long as they lived on this earth, everywhere they went, they went with God. How do you do that? Well, to walk with God is to walk a a different direction. I've come to this conclusion this week that the measure of my life will not be the quantity of work that I do for God, but the quality of my walk with Him will be the measure 
of my life. How are we doing with this? We're frenetic. We get a lot done, don't we? We are busy, and sometimes we're so busy that we're very empty because we're busy, because we're always producing and never receiving, and we need that intimacy of our lives, as we saw in Hosea last week, that all of our fruitfulness is found in Him. It's in connection with God as we walk with Him that we discover that He is with us. And what is it like to walk with God? Well, we walk to His cadence. We walk to keep in step with Him. Galatians 5.25, now that you live by the Spirit, the Spirit gives you life. Now, keep in step with the Spirit. It doesn't say God walked with Enoch, does it? It says Enoch walked with God. I run with a number of members of our congregation from time to time. I was over in Charleston, South Carolina some years ago. A good friend of mine was there. He's a runner also. We were with a bunch of preachers. And I, I said, why don't we run together tomorrow morning? He said, I'm not running with you. I said, well, why not? And he said, I don't want to run with you. I don't run with other people. I said, but I want to run with you. I mean, we could, we could run together. He said, okay, okay, I'll run with you. But here's the deal. We go at my pace. We go my distance. And I already know the path. And if you go fast, then I'm going to run alone. I was like, wow, okay, you're really intense about this. But, um, you know, if we just need to go a little bit slower, we can, we, can, we can talk while we run. He said, I don't talk while I run. I was like, whoa, what's the point, you know? And sometimes we sort of, with God, say, God, if you'll do this, 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 and this, then I'm with you. But if not, I'm on my own. Do you really want to be on your own? Or do you want to go? Via con Dios. If you're going to go, go with God. Live with Him. Walk in His presence. Walk before Him. This is real love, Francois Fenelon said. You want to love God? Here it is. Don't take one step without Him. Don't take one step that isn't for Him. And surrender yourself in self-abandonment and follow after Him. And Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To this we were called, to walk in God's direction. And how do we do that? Just I looked this week and I studied this and it was rich to see That if you're going to walk with God, you have to walk in faithfulness. 2 Kings 20, verse 3, Hezekiah says, God, I have walked before you in faithfulness. In other words, when we're being unfaithful, we may be walking, but we're not walking with him. We have to walk in humility. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Memorize. This is a great verse. He says, um, he has shown you what is good. And, And what does the Lord require of you? Mark sings this in a song. It's a beautiful song. And what does it say? To to do justice, to love mercy, and listen, to walk humbly with your God because you can walk in pride but you're not walking with God when you do walk in peacefulness he says Malachi chapter 2 verse 4 like Levi who turned many people from their sin because he walked in peace with God in the midst of the chaos and turmoil we can walk in his presence and that will change us and and Malachi 2 4 says it will change other people it will turn them from their sin when they see us walking with God walk with God to a different Destination. Listen to what he says. And then Enoch was not. It's sort of cryptic, isn't it? We don't understand. He walked with God and then he was not. Why? For God took him. We were back in Austin recently and we were driving up a Buttercup Boulevard there toward our old house. We haven't been there in years and years. And you ever do that? You just go back and, and we're driving up that road and I thought about Al Laurie. Al Laurie, who was a retired minister who lived in our neighborhood, who went to our church. Uh, who would always walk with a cane out there up and down that street. And, you know, hill country, I mean, he'd be walking up and down hills, and he always had this big smile on his face. And I remember the day I looked at him and thought, he's not walking alone. The reason he's smiling, is even though it looks like he's alone, he's not alone. 
This is his devotion. He is walking with God. He's living. He's practicing the presence of God. And he is experiencing that connection with God's presence that all of us want. I see it sometimes when I watch you all sing up here. I see that same joy and glory in your countenance that I saw on Al's face. And I love that. And I want that in my life. I want that in your lives. That, that as the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, that, that, that we will so live that the glory in us is not a fading glory like Moses, but an ever-increasing glory. As we are filled with the Spirit of God to overflowing. God wants that in our lives. And there came a day when when Enoch was no more. He didn't live as long, but he lived well. And then he got a transfer. That's the word in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith. Enoch, metatithemi, just got a transfer. He never died. And it's the same word in Hebrew that is used of Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 11. It's the same word that's used to describe the fact that Elijah and Enoch didn't die. They just, God just took them to live with him. So what was that like? I walk a lot on the bayou at night. I always offer an invitation to everybody in my house. You ever visit my house and you're there when I go? I say, anybody want to go for a walk? Day after day, week after week, month after month, nobody goes with me. I mean, except Shiloh and she has to because I put her on a leash. My, my kids won't. My wife, nobody walks with me. I walk up and down the bayou except for one glorious week this last fall, right after Hurricane Gustav hit Louisiana. My cousin Christy and her little girl Casey came to live with us for a season. And, and every night I'd put Shiloh on the leash and say, anybody want to go for a walk? And Casey would say, I want to go for a walk. And we would walk down the bayou. And one time we were walking down the bayou and she said, I like walking with you. I said, Casey, I like walking with you. I like walking with anybody. I walk alone all the time. But especially with you. And then the last time we walked together, she was about to move to Round Rock. And we were walking. And she looked at me and she said, I want to live at your house. And I thought, I would love for you to live at my house. Not knowing the events of these past holidays, that this Friday morning there will be a uh, a hearing uh, this Thursday morning and Friday morning. We've got meetings and hearings related to Casey. And you think it was like that? You think it was like Enoch and he's just walking along and he just said to God, you know, I feel so close to you. I, I want to live at your house. And God said, there is no time like the present. Come and live with me. Remember that song? We sometimes sing it in the garden. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And then what does he do? He tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. Would you pray with me? Father, would you let us walk with you today and talk with you? And Lord, we want to live in your house. We want to live daily in your presence. We just want to be where you are. Lord, we pray that you would walk with us and guide us as we make decisions now. In Jesus' name, amen.